Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, last week we been started talking about how everybody's a leader. If you influence people, you're a leader. And so I want to go deeper into the life of Nehemiah. We get to have an inside look into his prayer life. And we're going to see what a leader prays like and how he prays. Because there's some principles here that apply to us today. And uh, so I, I want us to look very carefully at this. But I want to back up to Ecclesiastes or, or to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. And this is God talking. He said, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. I don't know about you, but the righteousness wall of our country has been torn down. And God is looking among his people to see who might rebuild that wall of righteousness. And that's why we're going to come and pray today. We're praying for that very thing that God will reestablish this wall of righteousness, a spiritual awakening in this country. Because truly, that is what guards our land. I mean, I believe in our military. I'm thankful for our military. They do astounding things. I was so excited to read about how the uh, SEAL Team 6 uh, rescued an American that had recently been kidnapped. And, uh, you know, I just get so excited when I see how our men and women are not afraid to go into harm's way uh, for the sake of someone else. And, and as much as I'm thankful for that, it is our spiritual walls that truly protect this country. It is our spiritual walls, our walls of prayer, our walls of righteousness that ultimately protects this country and guards our land. And that's when God looks to his people to see how we are praying. If you want to know the effectiveness of a person's public life, all you have to do, because it is determined by their private life. Your effectiveness in your public life is actually determined by your private life. So we're going to have a firsthand look into the heart of Nehemiah. He was a man of prayer. In fact, nine different times in the book of Nehemiah, we read his prayers. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, we have a look into one of the great prayers of Scripture is in Nehemiah chapter 1. And we learn, we can actually learn a lot about people by listening to their prayers. And so we're going to see what his private life was like. And you see, the reality is God liked answering Nehemiah's prayers. And so you and I need to figure out why. Why did God like to answer Nehemiah's prayers? Because he did. He answered every single one of them. So why is that? Well, the first thing we're going to ask ourselves is when should we pray? When should I pray? So let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning of verse 3. 
They said to me, so there was a group of guys who had come from Jerusalem and one of Nehemiah's brothers was in that group and they came and Nehemiah asked them, uh, how were things going? And so they said to him, and talking about Judah, talking about Jerusalem, he said, they said, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, Nehemiah, when he heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So the answer to when should I pray is simply this. Before I do anything else, before you do anything else, you should pray. So when Nehemiah heard the condition of Jerusalem, he prayed, he wept, he fasted. And he did that for many days. So a leader does more than pray, absolutely, but he doesn't do anything until he prays. That's the difference between a leader and a loser. You see, leaders make prayer first priority. Losers make prayer the last resort. It should never be in your vocabulary to say, I've done everything I can do. I guess the only thing left to do is pray. If that, those kind of words come out of your mouth, you've got things mixed up badly. You must always start with prayer. You always start with God. Now, me, Nehemiah, he was a man of action. I, I mean, he was an organizer. He was a motivator. He was a manager. And he liked to get things done. In fact, once he started rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, he did it in 52 days. Unbelievable. Yet, instead of immediately putting his list together, because he had that kind of experience, it would have been very easy for him to sit down and say, okay, I got to figure this out. Here's what I got to do. Here's what I got to put together. Here's the people I need. Here are the resources I need. Before he did any of that, he got alone with holy God. He didn't put a committee together. He didn't get a group of friends together. He got alone with God. So when should you pray? Before you do anything else. Then why should I pray? If that's the first thing I should do, why should I do it? Well, prayer does a couple of things. First of all, it, it shows that I am depending on God. That's what it shows. I want to read eight verses out of John chapter 15 because these are the words of Jesus. He said, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. You should always be in the fruit making business, producing fruit. And he prunes back the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, Jesus said this, remain in him and he will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you're the branches. 
Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So if you have a prayerless life, you will have a life that does nothing. Nothing of significance. Nothing that matters from God's perspective. Now, the reason why we don't pray more, I think it's simply because we don't think we need to. We think we can handle it ourselves. I mean, it's like we're saying to God, hey, God, I've, I've been around the block several times. I've got all this experience. I know what to do. Let me handle this. I mean, we think we don't need to pray, and that's why we don't pray. Otherwise, we would pray, right? In Matthew 5, 3, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor in spirit. Not necessarily poor in their pocketbook. But the reason he blesses them is because they realize their need for him. So praying shows that I'm depending on holy God. Second thing prayer does, it lightens my load. The reason why Nehemiah prayed was because he was distressed. He was really physically, emotionally, and spiritually distressed about the bad news he got. He, he was a sensitive guy. He was very compassionate. He felt things very deeply. And so he took the problem to God. He didn't just complain and gripe and wallow in self-pity, but rather he took his broken heart to God. In fact, the name Nehemiah means the Lord is my comfort. So when Nehemiah's heart was broken over things that were going wrong in Israel, he took his broken heart to holy God. When things break your heart, don't call your best friend and unload on them. Go to holy God. He knows your heart better than you do anyway. And he's the one that can actually do something about it. Sometimes your best friends and their well intentions tell you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear. God will always tell you what you need to hear. I think God honors prayer that comes from genuinely, a genuinely concerned heart. I think he longs to hear, Lord, I cannot handle this. Because that's when he says, that's okay. I'm not asking you to handle it. I'm going to handle it for you. I don't know how to do it. Help me. God loves to hear those kind of prayers. That's the prayers he loves to answer because you are dependent on him and God wants to lighten your load. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Who, who are those people? Those who trust the Lord. And praying shows that you trust God. Leaders actually find their strength on their knees. That's where they find it. The third thing that why you should pray is because prayer releases God's power. 
Listen to what God said. Ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets that you do not know about things to come. Sounds like God's just longing to have a conversation with us so that he can tell us things. See, prayer, God, God can do whatever God can do, whatever he wants to do. And prayer taps into those resources of God. You know, many of you, if you're like me, you're, you're fatigued. I mean, let's face it, this, this year has not been a fun year. And we're, we're tired. I, I, you know, I, I put on my mask, and especially when I go out and stuff, but I'm tired of that. I'm fatigued, you know, of, of the mask. I, I'm fatigued about all the, the things you have to do that you used to not have to think about. I'm, I'm fatigued about the limitations. I mean, I got fatigued. All this started happening in March. I think I got fatigued after the first day. <laughs> I mean, within, by the end of March, I was ready for, I was going, this was about to be over with. And, you know, and it just kept going and kept going and kept going, and it's still going. And I'm certainly fatigued about all the advertisements I have to listen to and see. I'm really fatigued of that. God wants to take your tiredness and let you tap into his resources. You see, when God is brought in on a project, he turns the impossible into the possible. So what's the secret of answered prayers? I mean, we have a sample of a leader's praying in verses five through 11, and we, you learn a lot about a person by their prayers. A canned prayer usually indicates a dried up spirit. When somebody just prays through the motions and just prays what they think they're supposed to pray, it usually indicates there's a dried up soul in there. A selfish prayer reveals a selfish spirit. You know, some prayers are just like a Christmas list. Selfish prayers usually indicate a selfish heart. Now, impressive prayers, people who pray these flowing words and love to pray in public, they usually indicate an arrogant and a prideful heart. So we learn a lot about Nehemiah by looking at the kind of prayer that he prayed. Now, re remember, Nehemiah, when he first heard about the downfall of Jerusalem, he prayed, he fasted for several days, but he actually prayed for four months. So it was not a casual praying time. I mean, he sought the Lord for over four months. And, and if, when you know how to pray, if you really want to know how to pray, just look at and study Nehemiah and the way he prayed. You see, whenever people in the Bible ask God to do something, they usually presented a basis for it. Usually they would say, God, I want you to do this because, and he, they would give them the reason for it. So the, quest, the key question you need to ask yourself when you pray is, why should God even answer this prayer? That, that's a good question to ask. I'm about to ask God this big prayer. Why should he even answer it? The Bible teaches us that the right kind of praying gives God a reason to answer your prayer. 
So you don't just say, I want this, this is my desire. You gotta give God a reason. So here's some basis on the secrets of praying. Number one, I should base my prayer, my request on God's character, not mine, but on God's. So listen to Nehemiah's prayer. Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, so this is all about God's character, who keeps his covenant, God's character, of unfailing love, God's character, with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. So Nehemiah comes to God based on who God is. In fact, this is the greatest reason to give God. I'm expecting you to answer this prayer because of who you are, because of your promises, because you're faithful, because you're a great God, because you're a loving God. When I'm praying for my lost friend, I'm expecting you to move in their life because I know you love them better than I do. I know Jesus died for them and that's why you sent Jesus to die for them. So when Nehemiah was praying based on the character of God, he was actually saying three things about God. He was saying, God, you're great. Now that's God's position. God, you're awesome. That shows his power. And God, you keep your promises. That shows God's covenant. So the first thing Nehemiah did was he acknowledged who God was. And that's what praise is. Nehemiah was saying, God, I know, you're, I, I know our situation's a, a mess, but I'm just reminding myself you're still in control. I know the problems over there in Jerusalem are, are great, but you're greater I know those problems are big, but you're bigger. And you're bigger than any of this mess. It's kind of the way we need to be praying about our country. God, I know, I know our country's in a mess, but you're bigger than any mess we got. I mean, you're a big God, and you can handle any mess that we've got. God, I know we're dried up spiritually as a country, but you still love us, and you've got your people here. And you want to do great things through your people in this country. God, I know it seems overwhelming at times at how we break your laws. But you're a forgiving God. And you're a God of mercy. We need to pray based on who God is. Based your prayer request on God's character. Jesus you died for my friend and they desperately need to know that you love them. Use me to tell them about your love. Use what you've done in my life as an example to them. The second way uh, Nehemiah prayed was he confessed. He confessed his sins in his life. And this is really fascinating. We're going to pick up in the middle of verse 6. It says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands and decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. 
You know, this is fascinating to me in that when all this, you know, God, God had told them, hey, you disobey me, I'm gonna take the land away from you. And then God did, he took the land away from them. When all that happened, Nehemiah wasn't even born. In fact, most likely he was born in captivity. There's a good chance he's probably never even seen Jerusalem. And yet, he includes himself in the equation. I have sinned against you. We, my family, we have sinned against you. Even though he wasn't even alive when it happened. Yes, we have our individual sins we need to confess. But we also have country sins, uh, our nation sins, and we're a part of that. So when we pray for our country, we say, God, we have sinned against you. We have forgotten who you are. We have tried to kick you out of our public place and our schools. We have mistreated people against your commands. We think we're self-sufficient. We're part of the confession. The Jews disobeyed God and as a result, God said, you're gonna lose the land. And part of Nehemiah's prayer it was based on who God was, but it was also based on we have sinned. Even though it wasn't Nehemiah's fault personally, he took ownership of it. He took ownership of it. So another law of leadership is a leader will accept the blame when a loser will pass the buck. So if you wanna be a leader and influence people, Accept the blame. And then when things go well, share the credit. Losers are always accusers and excusers. They're always making excuses why things did and did not happen. You know, the older I get and the longer I walk with Jesus, the more aware I am of my sinfulness and the more I am aware of God's graciousness. Number three, I should claim the promises of God. So I claim who God is, I confess my sin, but I claim my, the promises of God. Again in verse six, he says, yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses if you are faith, unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. So Nehemiah is praying to God and he's saying, now I want you to remember what you told Moses. You think God remember what he told Moses? <laughs> Absolutely. And so why did Nehemiah say that? <clears throat> I mean, I, I think what Nehemiah was reminding himself of and, and was saying to God, I know what you said to Moses. You obviously know what you said. I know what you said. And I know that's why we're in this situation. And um, so the question is, does God have to be reminded? No. Does God forget his promises? Absolutely not. 
but it helps me to remember what God has promised. And I think God is well pleased when we remind him of one of his promises because we're saying to him what you say matters. So when you say and talk to God about your lost friend and you say, God, I know your son son died for my friend. I, I know that your son will save him if he opens up his life to you. You, you promised that. Well, of course God remembers that. But more importantly, you're telling God, I know that's what you said. And I'm praying this based on what you said. So I'm claiming your promises, God. The point is, the strength of my prayer life is determined by how well I know the promises of God. That's why every time you're faced with a situation, one of the first questions you should ask yourself as you're praying is what does God have to say about this? What does the Bible say about this? You should start there. The fourth thing, I should be very specific in what I ask for. Look at verse 10 and 11. The people you rescued by your great power and your strong hand are your servants, O Lord. Please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Wow, this was, um, he was praying for success. And he wasn't hesitant about it at all. He was very bold in his praying. So what's the alternative? Pray for failure? (laughs) I don't think that works. Pray boldly. Now, this is how bold that prayer was. First of all, being a cupbearer is a big deal. It wasn't just somebody who held a cup for the king. I mean, he... Sometimes they were like the official uh, taster. They made sure nothing was poisoned. Uh, Usually they had other administrative responsibilities. That's a big job, mainly because they were in the presence of the king quite a bit. Now, this particular king was a pagan. He he did not know God, didn't want to know God. And he actually, there was a rule that nobody with a sad disposition could be in the presence of the king. He didn't want sad people around him. I mean, he wanted, you know, he had a lot of burden about all that he was responsible for. He wanted happy people around him. And and so if Nehemiah came into his presence and just had a sad face, the rule was you would be taken out and executed. So it was a big deal. And so Nehemiah was praying a very bold prayer because Nehemiah has probably seen that rule carried out. And so he goes into the presence of the king. And the king says, what's up, Nehemiah? 
Why the long face? And Nehemiah starts to tell him, he said, how can I be happy when my hometown is in ruins? The walls are turned down, burnt, torn down, and the gates have been burned with fire. So this is amazing. If I can't ask God to bless what I'm doing, then I better start doing something else. Because otherwise I'm wasting my life. So Nehemiah has been praying over a four-month period. And it probably, over this four-month period, evolved into this. And maybe the Holy Spirit prompted Nehemiah. He said, I want you to pray some really bold prayers. And God answered those prayers. You see, God influenced a pagan king. God can influence your atheist friend, your agnostic friend, your non-believing friend. God can influence them. God's spirit can soften their heart. And that's why you should pray bold prayers. And so when the king heard what Nehemiah said, it was basically like, well, what can I do for you? Oh, I got a list. <laughs> I mean, here's what, I mean, he had a list, man. It was a serious list. And the, and the king gave him everything that he wanted and even then even more so. Even sent an army with him to protect him. I mean, he, he gave him everything that he needed, everything. How is that possible? It's because of who God is and what God had done to answer Nehemiah's prayers. That's amazing. Go and read the story. So if Nehemiah was praying over a four-month period, his prayer evolved into this crazy prayer. Here are the kind of prayers God answers. He answers prayers of conviction. Conviction about who God is. He answers prayers of confession. God, I've blown it. I have messed up. He answers prayers of confidence based on God's promises. I mean, when Nehemiah quoted scripture to God, he was quoting scripture out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Uh, when's the last time you memorized a verse out of Leviticus? <laughs> But Nehemiah knew God's word, and that's why he was able to quote it to God. And then lastly, a prayer of commitment. Nehemiah basically was praying, but his prayer evolved into saying, God, if it's your will, I'm willing to be a part of the answer. So when you're praying for your lost friend, when you're praying for a situation... Tell God, God, I'm willing to be part of the answer. I'm willing to be used by you in this situation if it pleases you. Do you pray bold prayers like that? Do your prayers have any conviction about them at all in terms of who God is? When's the last time you just sat with God and told him all the things that you love about him? 
When's the last time you quoted promises from scripture to God and say, God, I'm coming to you based on what you said right here. God, I'm asking this prayer because of your promise and your covenant, what you said over here, uh, that's why I'm praying this prayer. And, And then your prayer of commitment that God, whatever you choose to do in this situation, I'm willing to be used by you. I'm willing to be a part of the answer. However you see fit. So when we, going back to Ezekiel, when we pray that God will rebuild the walls of righteousness around this country that have been torn down, be sure to ask God or tell God, God, use me in answering this prayer. Tell me what you want me to do to be a part of the answer to rebuilding the walls of righteousness around our country. And maybe instead of having constant political arguments with your friends, you can start having spiritual conversations. One will never change, the other will. Winning a political conversation with somebody will not change that person, but a spiritual conversation can change their life for eternity. So which conversation do you need to be having? Let's pray.